Thanks for joining us, everyone, for season two of the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders at Brand is Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the Finance Guy, and I'd like to introduce my friend and partner, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as the Restaurant Guy. Thanks for that great introduction, Jimmy, and to those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. Together, we are the personalities behind Branded Strategic Hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, technology, innovation, and capital. We're very excited today to introduce our guest, uh, our friend and industry leader, Mr. Chris Webb. Um, one of the themes of season two of the Hospitality Hangout has been speaking with industry experts who have successfully merged their backgrounds in both hospitality and finance. Uh, Chris is such a person, and we can't wait to get the conversation started. So, Chris, we're going to let you take the lead. Why don't you give us a little background on yourself and, of course, your company? Great. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so so uh, my background, uh, well, let me start off by saying I'm the CEO and co-founder of Chow Now, uh, which is a company I started uh, and co-founded about uh, almost a decade ago. Uh, and and the, the idea behind that was how do you allow any restaurant anywhere in the country to have their own online ordering system, their own tools, their own brand, their own own uh, customer base and, and everything else, um, just like a national chain uh, was was starting to build like a Domino's back then. Uh, and so we we launched that in 20, started the company in 2011, uh, launched the, com- uh, the product in 2012. Uh, and these days work with about 20,000 restaurants across the US, helping them power their own online ordering platforms and, and marketing tools. Um, prior to that, I was in finance. Uh, so I, I grew up in Los Angeles, got a job in my very early 20s at Bear Stearns, uh, worked out of the LA office for a few years, uh, decided I wanted to move to New York and, and uh, for a number of reasons, but one was just to kind of advance my career within finance. While I was out there, I moved around a, a couple of firms throughout my 20s. Uh, I was at Lehman, I was at RBC, uh, but my family back in LA made a, a kind of a very random investment in a restaurant group. Uh, at the time, it wasn't a group, it was, it was one location in Culver City. Uh, this is 2006. Uh, I was actually against the idea. I thought it was a horrible investment. I was wrong. It was turned out to be a great investment. Uh, and as that company grew and they went from one location to two to three, I started to uh, pay m- much closer attention. I got to know the three founders, and that ultimately, a couple of years later, led to the idea for Chow Now and, and to really observe and see the needs out there within the industry. So that's uh, that's how my background comes together. That is awesome, and and thank you so much. I uh, as the finance guy, I uh, uh, of this company, I so respect. Uh, you went from Bear Stearns and also have Lehman on on your resume. So uh, <laughs> yes. that is uh, that is awesome. I, I know you aren't responsible for uh, either of the, uh, the the any of the issues at those companies, but but anyway, on to back to Chow now. Um, you know, as I said at the uh, at the intro, uh, this season's uh, one of our themes is without question um, how people are successfully combining backgrounds in hospitality, tech, and finance. Um, you know, you shared the story about the restaurant uh, your, that your family invested in. So it went from Baird to Launchpad Mentor, investor in Tender Greens, and now the CEO of Chow Now. Um, kind of just talk a little bit about the transition and how have you found kind of the, uh, the environment in this hospitality tech and in, in innovation world, uh, when, especially compared to your uh, days in, in the financial world? Yep, yep. So when I think about my background and kind of the, the, the path or paths I I've eventually kind of went down, usually it starts with a, a glimmer of success that gets you excited and then you, you kind of follow that success. Um, and so in the, the late nine, I, I was in high school in the late nineties and, and back then the kind of the first dot-com boom was, was going on and was just getting started. 
And uh, I did an econ class uh, back then, like most high school kids do. And, and part of the projects that you would do in that semester was to pick stocks and track them. Back then, you could have picked anything in the late 90s. And, and it went up. I think I picked AOL and a number of others that I, I don't remember. And everything went AOL up. And was I, a winner, though. That was a winner. Yeah, it was. But but everything was <laughs> was kind of a winner there. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm fantastic. <laughs> this is so easy. I can make money. And, and you know, this is yeah. this is so great. And so mm-hmm. that got me excited about the market, got me excited about finance. Uh, I got an internship at, at Oppenheimer uh, when I was, I think, 18 or 19, uh, which then led to Bear Stearns a year or two later. And, uh, and, and it was that kind of the right time, right place. In hindsight, I realized I wasn't all that special. Um, it was just kind of, it happened to be that I was assigned to pick stocks in high school, uh, when all stocks were going up. Uh, and, and so that got me down that path. Um, then kind of fast forward almost a decade, uh, almost the exact same thing, right? And, and while I don't get credit and I don't deserve any credit, but, but that, that small investment from the family in Tender Greens in 2006, the fact that Tender Greens was successful, started paying more attention to it, paid more attention to the restaurant industry, uh, got to know those the, the, the three founders uh, from kind of 2000, I mean, I still know them, but, but really got to know them 2007, 2008, 2009. And again, it was because Tender Greens was doing really well that it got me paying more attention. I, I, I kind of joke around that if Tender Greens went under, like so many restaurants do kind of early on in their life cycle, Chana wouldn't exist. I'd want nothing to do with it. But the fact that they were successful got me paying closer attention. I'm like, this is fun. Restaurants are fun. <laughs> Shit, let's, I, let's, I was let's just thinking, yeah. I was just thinking, had you, had you been in high school and then like the in, in 87 or maybe in the, you know, the Y2K uh, downturn, you could end up being an actor. There, there may be no yeah. child now. You, you could, you could, no matter what you picked when going down, you yeah. could be in a whole different industry. Yeah. No, no. I mean, <laughs> 20,000 restaurants really thank your parents for a, uh, making sure you were born when you were and making an investment in tender greens. Yes. that's true (laughs) (laughs) true yeah uh, growing up in la i think it would be unlikely that i would find my way into uh into anything related to entertainment or hollywood i I think i know it too well um growing up here as as most people most people that grow up here i I find have avoided the industry um and so so (laughs) i I probably would have avoided it in the 80s but uh outside of that you're, you're absolutely right thanks for sharing that chris that's awesome um you told us a little bit about uh, Chow now. Uh, Ten years ago, you started the company, or in 2011, you launched in 2012. You got 20,000 restaurants, which is, I mean, really impressive. Um, where do you see it today? Where is uh, Chow now headed? Uh, where do you see it going? What's in the future? Tell us a little about that. Sure, sure. So, so like a lot of companies in our space, uh, COVID has, has, has transformed it and and. Uh, where the business is today is, is very different than where it was even eight months ago. Uh, and so w- we have grown to be the market leaders within our space. And what I mean by that is is working with independent restaurants and small regional groups that have six, seven, eight locations and really setting them up and getting their front of house set up online with branded mobile apps that we build for them, with ordering on their websites. Uh, in some cases, we, we help them actually get a website and build a website. Most of the restaurants we work with actually already have a website when they come to us. Uh, help them with digital marketing, help them help them compete with the with Domino's, Starbucks, uh, and name any other kind of national brand. Uh, and and within the space, we are known as the market leaders. Uh, the the folks that we get compared to who work on, with the enterprise restaurants are, is a company called Olo out of New York that, that you may know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, and so Olo is the market leader in the enterprise space. They work with uh, Applebee's, Chili's, Shake Shack, folks like that. 
we do is very similar work. Uh, we're very proud of what we do, but we work with independent restaurants and, and smaller chains. Uh, and and so, you know, where we are today, and, and this year we'll process about two to two and a half billion dollars in, in orders on behalf of these twenty thousand restaurants, and and that will come from eighteen million people that use our platform to to order this year. And so we believe we're in a position to to really leverage where we sit. Uh, so that means a few things. One, uh, we we are growing our team very very quickly. Uh, that includes our product team. So we're working on on new products. Um, some are brand new products that that uh, we have no, done nothing with in the past. Uh, some are kind of very natural, uh, obvious extensions of what we do to our platform, just to continue to to. Um, to really create space from us and anyone that's kind of chasing us from behind. Um, but also on the go-to-market side, on our, our sales team, uh, our, our marketing team, we're expanding there quite a bit. Uh, a year and change ago, we opened an office in Kansas City. Uh, that office now has about 150 people, uh, not obviously out there in their office today, but working from home in Kansas City. And hopefully at one point next year, we'll be back in that office. Uh, and and we are now adding folks all over the country. So in the last month or two, we've added people in Phoenix, in Portland, in, in Chicago, kind of really all over. So so we are growing the team in preparation for further growth of the company uh, with, with you know, both a larger client base, but really a, a larger portfolio of products is what we want to focus on. Thanks, Chris. How does Chow Now's business model you know, work or, or maybe how is it different um, you explained how you and Olo have some similarities with play uh, in, in, let's say, different uh, ends of the spectrum and, you know, very fragmented uh, industry that we're in. But how is your uh, how is Chanao different, let's say, from the other marketplace offerings? Sure, sure. Uh, so so it starts with and this is this is based off of feedback that we got very early on. And we, we as we started, as Eric, my co-founder and I started to spend time with restaurants in, in 2010, uh, and, and I had just moved back from New York to Los Angeles in, in 2010. Uh, so, so I heard this feedback both in New York and in Los Angeles, which is we hate the commissions, right? These are our customers. Yes, sure, Grubhub is trying to convince me that they're sending me every new customer or every customer they send me is a brand new customer. The, the truth is that is not the case. I, I know these people. I see the names. I recognize them. It's the same customers ordering over and over again. Why am I paying commissions over and over again? And so what we quickly realized is a much better approach, which is charging a flat monthly fee for the software. So if a restaurant receives 1,000 orders a month or 500 orders a month or uh, 10,000 orders a month, they still pay a flat monthly fee. That's been the case since day one when we launched in, in, in beta in 2011 and then kind of publicly in, in 2012. Uh, and that's still true today. So every one of our, our 20,000 restaurants pays us a flat monthly fee to use the software, regardless of how many orders they get. We, we very much anti-commission at Chano. Love that. Yeah, no, that's incredible. You know, I, look, I'm a restaurant guy. I've been in this space for uh, for 25 plus years. I've used Chow Now since whenever we were allowed, whenever you guys came to New York, we've been using Chow Now in a bunch of our restaurants. Um, and it, it's it, it's innate to me, some of the things you're saying, but it doesn't come natural to a lot of other operators. Jimmy and I do a lot of, uh, we've done some New York restaurant, uh, New York State Restaurant Association webinars, a few other things nationally. And it's amazing the questions that we get from operators, and they really still don't understand the difference between what you're doing at Chow Now, and, and nothing wrong with the third-party delivery platforms. I use them all and always have, the Uber Eats, the Grubhubs, and the DoorDash. They certainly serve a function. But a lot of operators really don't understand the difference between the two, and I know that sounds crazy. For our listeners out there, can you just tell the difference 
is what makes Chow Now different? And I know you said a little bit before, but maybe articulate a little bit better. What makes it a little different than as a restaurant operator, me just having a website and, and, you, and you click on Uber Eats or you click on DoorDash on my website? What's, why is it different and why should an operator think about Chow Now in addition to using other third-party services? Sure, sure. So you should think as a restaurant owner and operator, you should think of it as how do I get my front of house online? Right. So when someone walks into to my restaurant, I have a, a full kind of process in place. Right. So the depending on the type of restaurant, you're greeted at the host stands. The host stand welcomes you. They walk you to the table. They introduce you to the waiter. There, the whole idea is kind of choreographed. Or if it's more casual, uh, you walk up, you get in line, you look at the menu board here. I mean, there's a lot of thought that gets placed into every restaurant and how that customer is greeted when you walk in the front door. And yet when it comes to online ordering, where now, I mean, these days, because COVID, 80, 90, sometimes 100% of your customers are coming to you actually through online. Restaurants, for, for whatever reason, haven't put a lot of thought into it, or at least don't think about it that way. But we think they should, right? What is that guest experience that you want to have? And if you're going to extend that analogy, if a guest were to walk in and say, I want to order, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you're saying, sorry, we don't take orders here. Can you go next door and place your order there and then come back and get it over here? And by the way, they're going to send me you know, 70% of the proceeds. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And so, analogy, so, yeah. so, so it's the equivalent of, of doing that. And so you have all this, this traffic on your website. You have all these customers that are coming to your website. They are looking at photos. They are looking at your menu. They are doing a whole number of things. And many of them want to place orders, right? And so why would you send them away? And when you send them away, you're doing two things. You are, you are sending them to someone else who's going to take ownership of that customer. They're going to own the data. They're not going to share it back to you unless you pay them to share it back to you. So that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and they are going to charge a huge commission, right? In some cases, up to 40%, depending on which kind of city and neighborhood you may be in. Uh, and so that doesn't make any sense either. And so, so what Chana does is it takes a very different approach to that. So we set up ordering on your website. So you click online order on the restaurant's website. Uh, the menu pops up. You're not taken away from the website. Sometimes there's some technical reasons on, on why they may re be redirected. But uh, we, we try our best to actually have everything happen on the restaurant's website. You place the order. The restaurant gets 100% of the customer data. They get 100% of the proceeds from that order other than the credit card fees, which obviously can't you can't bypass. Uh, and so... So it's a very different approach. Uh, uh, using a different analogy, we compare it often to the airline industry. So, so you have somebody like Southwest, and so Southwest Southwest uh, Airlines is is very good at what they do, right? They they're one of the the the, uh, the I think believe they're the most profitable airline in the kind of history of of, of airlines. Uh, and so they say, if you want to come to us. You, if you want to buy a ticket on our flight, you have to come to us, right? You have to go to our website. You have to download our app. Whatever you want to do, you have to buy that ticket directly from us. And in doing so, we guarantee you will pay the best price out there. You can't go to Expedia. You can't go to Priceline. You can't go to Booking. You can't go to any of the online travel agencies. And that's their approach, and it served them very well. And we have a lot of restaurants that take that Southwest approach We want to, uh, where they say, we want to take online orders. We will only take them if you come directly to us. We will not work with any of the the uh, the marketplaces out there. And then you have the American Airlines type approach, which is, hey, we would prefer you to come to us. We would prefer you to roll in, in our loyalty program. 
However, if you want to use Priceline or Travelocity or any of them, we also list there. You're not guaranteed the best price, but you can buy a ticket there if you want. And so that's a that's another approach. And that sounds kind of more the the what you you mentioned earlier uh, in the approach that you've taken. And, and there's there's good reason for doing that. So I I don't want to knock that by any means. Um, it's just it's just two different business models and it's how you want to set it up. Um, but in many cases, American Airlines then tries to get you back to come and and buy that ticket next time direct from them and get your your points and everything else. Uh, and we see a lot of our restaurant clients do that as well. Um, but that's the biggest difference. We we provide restaurants with that with that direct system. So the customers can come directly to you, order from you. You don't pay a commission. You get to own the customer data. You get a, you can send them emails if you want later on. We can use the info, uh, the, the customer info, the email addresses, uh, addresses and, and phone numbers, however you like um, going forward. I so appreciate um, what you just shared um, and even the analogy you used. Um, you know, Shatz and I, at, at Branded, we believe content wins. And while we're focused on the hospitality tech and F&B innovation space, you know, you, you've seen in other industries, in the music industry, they got disrupted by the Napsters, um, but then music came back to win. And we talked about airlines and, and travel and how they were, in, you know, disrupted uh, by the intermediaries, the Expedia, Travelocity, et cetera, and how uh, Southwest never gave them those tickets and how other airlines, especially major carriers, fought back. And we've seen it in hoteling and car rentals. And we think that's what's going on in the hospitality industry. Our, our customers want the our food. They want our experience. And I think what Chowna does that's really special and important is they're allowing and you're featuring the brands. Um, and you're allowing these customers really to connect with the with the very restaurants they want to go to. And I think, again, I love the analogy in part because I use it. Um, well, I was so, say, if you haven't already, Jimmy will be using it. Yes, I use it. I like it. Content wins, everybody. Content wins. Don't bet against it. Anyway, listen, uh, restaurants have been hit uh, unbelievably hard uh, by the pandemic. Um um, in what ways has this impacted, you know, what Chow Now does? Uh, have you pivoted in any ways? And if so, what have you been able to do to help support the hospitality industry during this time? Yes. So so we've done a number of things. Uh, so it actually started last year. Um, and, and obviously, uh, no one, I don't know anyone that's uh, understood or, or predicted that a global pandemic would hit in 2020. Uh, but last year, we started to put things in place where we were going to grow the company quickly this year. And we're very thankful we did that. So so we brought on someone named Brent Krauss to lead all of sales and, and what we call restaurant success. It's our account management team. Uh, and so Brent joined us in the middle of 2019. He came from a company called MindBody, uh, which is a, a very large company that builds software for for yoga studios and salons and others. And it's, it's I believe they have something like 60,000 clients. Uh, and so he come from a place that was at a different scale than Chow Now. And so he took a lot of those learnings and he started to put them in place. He started to make some hires. Uh, we invested in a number of kind of, of foundational tools, processes. And we started doing that last year, again, with the plan of growing quite a bit this year. Uh, again, the, the, the Kansas City office kind of plays into that theme of how do we put the pieces in place to grow quickly in 2020. And, and the reason I bring that up is had we not done that, and the, this was pure luck. Again, if if COVID had hit in 2019, we would we as a company would not have been prepared. Thankfully, we were prepared. So when the phone started ringing off the hook uh, and the inbound started coming off our uh, our website for restaurants that, that wanted to learn more, wanted to sign up and want to be live, at, at, frankly, immediately because they needed to uh, in March, we were prepared for that. So we had a team. Uh, we had – we. These days, I believe that the sales team, about 60 or so individuals, they were prepared. They're ready to have the conversations. Our onboarding team was ready to, to onboard uh, our, these, these new restaurant clients of ours. 
one thing that we realized early on and early on, not COVID time, but in Chan now history time, so it's call it 2012-2013, is we have to go beyond to offer white glove treatment to our restaurant clients. Restaurants are good because they're in the restaurant, they're greeting people, they're making food, they're playing around with recipes. They they do not live uh, naturally on the online world, right? They're, they're not behind a, a laptop all day long, at least the, the better restaurants and the better inter- independent mm-hmm. restaurants are not, right? They, they, they are doing other things. And so they don't want to sit behind a laptop inputting menus and spending three hours to get the menu perfectly right in the dashboard. Now they can on Chano, um, you, you, it's self-service, but what we've built, and, and this started years ago, was a team that all they do, and they do it so well, is make sure that menus get up, uh, set up really, really well, and they do it very quickly. And so we we grew that team uh, quite a bit in, in March. Uh, the other thing we we're able to do, and, and you know, this is kind of a very much a kind of a feel good within Chanow type story, but we started talking to a lot of clients that unfortunately had to lay people off. And we hired about 100 people from the restaurant industry in, in April, April, May, and June. So, so people that unfortunately lost their jobs because of COVID, but they understood Chanow. They'd use it from a, a restaurant standpoint. They understood the industry. They spoke the language, spoke the lingo. We were able to bring them on and set up really quickly, remotely. In many cases, we would just ship out uh, laptops and, and onboard them in batches and train them in batches. We did that. And, and that was something we felt very good about because not only were they helping us, but we were helping the industry in a way outside of, uh, kind of what we typically do on a day-to-day with from a product perspective. Um, so we did that. Um, the the other thing we have done more recently uh, is we've we've changed some of our pricing packages. We've invested more into the Chanow app, which is completely free for our restaurants clients to use, um, and and we've made a number of changes around product. Uh, and just on the product side, I'm sorry, kind of a long answer to to. You know, your question. No, Jimmy gives long answers. This is actually quite short. <laughs> okay, it's not. It's not long to me. <laughs> I'm good. I bet it says I'm on it. But 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 <laughs> I appreciate that. On the on the product front, we did a couple things really quickly. One, going into COVID, we we had this very lightweight, and and that's a very kind of nice way of describing it. Lightweight uh, curbside pickup function. Uh, and, and it was used, and a few hundred of our restaurants used it, but it was not widely used enough where we invested heavily in it from a, a product standpoint. So it existed, uh, and again, a few hundred restaurants used it, a few thousand customers probably used it uh, to, to place curbside pickup orders. That changed dramatically in March. The amount of people placing curbside pickup orders, the amount of restaurants asking for curbside pickup functionality. So the product team, product and engineering team, built it from the ground up, completely rebuilt it, uh, and we launched that a month or two later. So, so and that that has grown tremendously over COVID. So delivery gets a lot of a lot of attention these days. Uh, however, yeah, it it has not grown nearly as quickly on a percentage basis as curbside pickup has. So that was something we built. We saw the same thing. It's like, uh, you know, a, a pre-pandemic or even early in the pandemic, it was delivery, delivery, delivery. And then I think people started recognizing on the customer side, I think people started recognizing that uh, some of these third-party platforms, you know, they really didn't pay much attention to it until their burrito started coming to their house and it was like $25 for their burrito. Yeah. And they're like, wait a minute, I'm not even, you know, I'm not going to the office right now. I'm not, you know, I'm working remotely. I'm getting in my car and going to pick up this this burrito for twelve dollars, and I'll save all the uh, the fees, et cetera. You know, so we we've definitely seen a complete shift that pickup 
has almost completely turned around delivery. So it's more pickup than delivery now. Yep. Yeah, no, it, it, it's we're seeing the exact same uh, on our platform. And, and again, we have about 18 million people using our platform to order food this year. Um, and by the time the year's over, in, in a few weeks, it may be 19 or 20, 20 million uh, customers out there. And so we're seeing the exact same thing from from these millions and millions of people ordering food. It's curbside pickup and just pickup in general has grown a, a, a lot. Um and yeah. then uh, just, just I, quickly on, on kind of what else we built, because I'm very proud of this, is we built a very quick uh, membership loyalty program so that that uh, diners could become members of their local restaurant, which you can kind of think of it as Amazon Prime for your local restaurant. And so the reason we built mm-hmm. it is the, the, the number one reason we built it is just restaurants needed cash. Right. I mean, that was the, the one thing and, and still is the, the one thing that, that, you know, obviously every business needs needs revenue. Restaurants desperately needed the, the revenue, the cash flow to survive, to pay the to pay the rent to get to the next month. And so in the paid membership model, when a diner becomes a member of a restaurant, they pay a, a upfront annual membership fee. And, and there's different tiers that come with different discounts that, that, that the member will get. But the gold tier on our system is $100. And so that $100 goes, 100% of it goes to the restaurant. And so it allowed restaurants to start selling memberships. And, and in doing so, it locked in those customers to guarantee that they were going to order again and again and again. Because when you spend $100 become a member at your local restaurant, well, you want to recoup that, right? And so the way the math mm-hmm. works out on that membership fee is, is that diner has to spend $400 over the course of the next 12 months to recoup that up for $100. So it's a way of basically prepaying at your restaurants uh, by $100. And then if you go beyond that, you, you as a restaurant, as a diner, eventually get get a discount and you, you know, start small. But as you spend more, the way the math works, the discount kind of grows from there. But it was it was designed to get cash to restaurants really quickly. And we had nearly a thousand restaurants sign up uh, to run their own paid membership programs uh, as soon as we launched this. And then two, it was able to get these customers locked in and ordering more often. And it has changed, like all loyalty systems, you want to change the consumer behavior. You want that customer to join your membership program and and ultimately spend more at your restaurant over time. That's the goal of any membership or any loyalty Mm -hmm. program. And what what we've seen and with our data is it does exactly that. That, that the customer started spending 40% more at restaurants on average per month once they became a member. That's incredible. I think, uh, I, I mean, the initiatives, I didn't know it could be that long of an answer, but I'm used to it with working with Jimmy. But I mean, you really do have an, a lot of incredible things. I think the hiring of laid off restaurant workers is an incredible story. It's a great story and should be told more because they are the perfect employee for you because they they are familiar with a lot of the things that that you're doing, and I think this whole membership, uh, as you equated to the Amazon Prime, is incredible. There's something else you're doing which I'd like to talk about because uh, we're here in New York, Jimmy and I are New Yorkers, and uh, and the winter's coming here in New York, or it's here, I should say. Uh, last night it was forty uh, something degrees, maybe a little bit less. A lot of people aren't eating outside uh, as much, um, and I know it's. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge for these next two, three months for us here in New York. And I know you guys are working on an incredible initiative for our great city here in New York. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Because it's just another example of how you guys are just, A, you're customer friendly, you're restaurant friendly, and you're, you're really just giving back. Yes, I'm glad you brought it up. So, so this is something that is just rolling out now. And what we're doing for, for restaurants in and around New York City 
is basically giving away online ordering for free through May of next year. And so uh, we realize uh, the situation that they're all in at this point is kind of obvious to to anyone that's paying attention uh, how difficult this winter is going to be. And so I mentioned briefly earlier on that there is a Chanow app. The the only product that we build with our name on it is the Chanow app. Uh, It's free, as I mentioned earlier, to any of our restaurants on our system. And so the the difference there is that you have to you have to use our core software. You, you and in doing so, you pay us the the hundred bucks a month for the software, uh, and then you get the free listing on the Chanow app. And we in New York, which is one of our largest markets in terms of both diners and in terms of number of restaurants that we work with currently in New York, um, it's great. Uh, however, you do have to pay that monthly fee, and we realize that some restaurants just aren't in a position to do so. So, what we're allowing to do through May of next year is any restaurant that wants to listen to the app can do so completely free. There's no commissions, there's no fees. Um, you can use it as you want. Uh, and so it's a way of driving orders and hopefully revenue to these restaurants. And so we've basically removed that restriction that you have to pay us uh, a monthly fee for the rest of the software we offer, right? It's a slightly different offering. But at the very least, we now have an offering for restaurants in and around New York, New York City, where they can get online ordering completely for free through May of next year. So that's incredible. I love that. And I was going to say, please note, I'm, I'm the finance guy. I'm not the restaurant guy. I'm not even the marketing guy. But, but, but based on what I just heard, I'm going to take a shot at being a marketing guy. I, what I heard you just say is the democratization of online ordering. I, 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 that's what I think. That's what I heard, that you are going to basically create a marketplace yeah. and give it to the, uh, to the industry, to the consumers, to the customer, to your clients, the restaurants, and let people just navigate this, these waters as they so, as they so see fit. But, uh, did, but I'm excited. Did he say it. to everyone in the whole world or just New York? I think he said New York. Just New York. Yeah, democratization oh, okay. in New York. Yeah. 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 <laughs> still, still, still communist down south now. Um, <laughs> anyway, listen, I uh, appreciate all that. How do you see the restaurant industry changing fundamentally? Um, you know, the, uh, the crisis isn't over, um, but, but how do you see, by any means I should say it's not over, but how do you see the restaurant industry changing fundamentally? Yeah, in, in some ways I don't see it changing. Um, I, I think there are a lot of predictions going on right now. And I, I see the desire for people to go back and eat and get back into restaurants and have that, that kind of mini vacation that it, it feels like when you're at a restaurant having a nice meal with friends and family and you're having a drink or two on a Friday night or Saturday night that kind of escape from your, your everyday life. I think there's just a, a, a huge desire around the, really around the world to do that. And I think as soon as we can get back to going to restaurants kind of safely and COVID's behind us and there's treatments and vaccines and, and all that good stuff, I think there's just going to be a mad dash back to that. So I don't think, I don't think that the industry has changed uh, forever with with a couple of smaller exceptions, uh, and this this plays into what we do. So I come from a, a slightly biased position, but but we, we've uh, we recently surveyed a lot of our restaurant clients, and then I've also read some kind of outside surveys that other people have done. And every restaurant that has added online ordering during COVID, who who may have not done any takeout prior, so kind of finer dining at restaurants or just restaurants that just kind of never really thought much about takeout, never thought much about online ordering, who have all since added it just to stay alive. Almost 100% of people surveyed basically say, we're not giving this up. So we cannot wait to open up our dining rooms again, our patios, everything else. But we now realize the importance of having a, a small, limited takeout menu and online order is, and we need to diversify our revenue stream. And I think, I think that will be the difference coming out of this is restaurants realizing that they need 
kind of a, a plan B and plan C running in tandem with plan A, which is their, you know, in, in many cases, their existing dining room that, that hopefully will reopen at some point. So that's that's the only thing that I actually see changing. I know there's there's a ton of chatter out there with cloud kitchens. There's some announcements today with a company raising a tremendous amount of money to kind of rethink uh, cloud kitchens and food trucks and all this stuff. I don't know. I'm I, I'm not buying into that story yet. Restaurants in in their current form have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, I, I think I saw a story yesterday about a Japanese restaurant that's been going for a thousand years in Japan, right? Um, and, and it hasn't really changed its operations, right? The ability to walk into a place, sit down, have a good time, be served food, that's been going on for, for I mean, that was many, many years. I mean, and, and that's an understatement. And I think that's that's kind of deeply re- rooted in us as, as humans and kind of what we enjoy. Uh, it, it's it's very much in our DNA. And I just, I don't think COVID's going to change that. Hey, thanks for that, Chris. I'm um, going to change gears a little bit and go to uh, the top of the tech stack Uh portion of our podcast. Um, Everyone's been talking about technology, especially since uh, COVID hit. We know restaurants have been slow to adopt the technology. Um, If you can give some advice to operators outside of, of course, the chow now, and just let's talk about technology. What areas of hospitality technology would you recommend? Obviously, again, other than than, than chow now and delivery, obviously everyone needs to get chow now. But what would you say is the next most important component of our tech stack for a restaurant operator now and going through, you know, for the next, uh, you know, uh, foreseeable future? Yeah, I, th- I think the way I'll answer this is, is not so much specifically the tech, but how you use tech. And that's actually what I think mm-hmm. is is broken today or, or maybe misunderstood. Um, it's not that you cannot use a delivery app. But if you do, if you choose to del- use uh, DoorDash or Uber, whoever, use it the right way. Don't rely on them. Mm-hmm. They they are trying to make every dollar they can on every single order. Um, Dara Uber has, has recently said in the last couple of months that they're trying to increase their margins on their end, and that comes at you know that that comes from someplace else. That comes from the restaurants' margins. So so if if mm-hmm. you want to use them to generate demand to send you orders. That's fine, but make sure you're using them the right way and you don't become reliant on them. It, it very much is, is a drug. And once you get addicted, it's really hard to come off of it. So what I mean by that is have your own online ordering system. So you know it could be chat out, it could be something else, but make sure you have your own system where you don't have to pay commissions, where you own the customer, where you own kind of the entire system and you have complete control. And you have to proactively, every time a customer comes off of Grubhub or Uber or whoever, as best you can, transition over to your own. And so that takes some work. I mean, it, it does take some work, but it, it, it will pay off. Uh, work on a marketing campaign. Um, what we do with our with our restaurant clients is we arm them with, with marketing gear, collateral, flyers, table tents, um, flyers to drop in takeout bags. Say, next time, order from us. Next time, download our app. Uh, it's better for you and it's better for us, right? And pe- people are now waking up to the fact that menu prices are, are vastly inflated on the delivery apps. Uh, and so not only is it better for the restaurant, but it's better for the diner as well. You don't have to overpay for your dinner if you order direct. So so there's that. Uh, the POS system, um, you know, obviously make sure that you you have a POS system. Um, there's a ton of great POS systems out there these days. Um, and, and they continue to kind of get better and better. Uh, and so and, and cheaper, by the way. So I think, you know, make sure mm-hmm. that you, you set yourselves up, but use it the right way. Um, you know, in some cases, uh, POS companies 
are trying to do everything to everyone and realize that you shouldn't buy into that, right? That, that you should use them for what they're good at, but then there's best in class for other things. So reservations is an example. There's some POS companies that some do some kind of basic reservation functionality. Most of them suck at it. Like just, you don't mm-hmm. have to use them. Use Resi. Resi is a whole lot better. Uh, and if you don't use Resi, use OpenTable, right? People that specialize it, that are best in class in what they do. And, and some of them plug in nicely with the POS systems as well. And so, but that takes work, right? It, it's very easy to be like, well, I'm just using this one system. They do everything. And you know what? Yes, Resi does uh, reservations a whole lot better. And I can plug in, you know, maybe Uber and that takes care of online ordering. And I don't have to think about anything else, but you're doing yourself a disservice and you're you're costing yourself both margin and, and in many cases revenue as well. So, no, I, I appreciate you sharing that it, it, it is work and it does take work. Uh, Shatz and I have often said that if that if you're not relying on, if you're not looking to have a white label or native solution um, for your for your for your uh, off-prem um, you know services, you're just freaking lazy. Uh, because they're, they're, you know whether it's you know Chow Now is an awesome one. There are others, but the fact is, if you're not engaging with one of these native platforms, you're basically just giving up. Um, but maybe that's too harsh. Then again. That's me. Um, <laughs> listen, now it's time for our crystal ball moment, uh, a chance for all of our guests uh, to put on their uh, their Kreskin or their Miss Cleo hats uh, and predict the future. How do you see restaurants and dining two years from now in relation to online ordering and hospitality in general? Yeah, so I continue to think the industry is going to grow quite a bit. Uh, I think it comes at the expense of actually the grocery uh, industry. I think, I think the fact that people now realize how easy it is to get food to your house for for more meals than you did in the past i think that the restaurant industry as a whole will benefit from that so so as i said a minute ago i think dine-in is going to return uh very quickly next year once things kind of return to normal i also think that people realize hey i'm getting some really great meals and it's not costing all that much more when i compare it to kind of the cost of groceries and everything else so I think actually the biggest thing and biggest change in two years will just be the amount of money spent at a, a grocery store versus the restaurants over the course of, of of a month. And I think we'll see the the restaurant industry continue to grow from that standpoint. That's awesome, man. It sounds like uh, you are just like us, extremely optimistic of the industry that we love. Uh, Jim and I often say, um, you know, in terms of People eating and drinking, that hasn't changed. There's still 350 million people in this country that have to eat and drink every day. Maybe it's changed a little bit how they eat, but at the end of the day, you know, 350 million people are, are eating three meals every day. Jimmy, probably closer to five. But uh, <laughs> I, I resemble I resemble that <laughs> remark. I mean, I resent that remark. No, but it's it's I, I agree. <laughs> and you know, it's 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 great to hear that optimism. Uh, we we share that with you. Um, okay. Uh, Chris, the ball is over and now it's on to the branded quick fire segment. Chris, are you ready for quick fire? Yeah, let's do this. All right. Don't be nervous. Going to ask you five lightning round questions. Don't think too hard. First thing comes to your mind. Uh, here we go. First question, hot dog or hamburger? Hamburger, no doubt. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, who would want a hot dog or a hamburger? <laughs> Where are you getting dinner from tonight? Uh, Felix in Venice. Love Felix in Venice, by the way. Is that, are you going there or are you using chow now? I'm using chow now. Excellent. Quick fire, Shashi. This is quick fire. <laughs> What's your favorite food city in the world? Uh, these days, it's Los Angeles. Part, partly because I can't go anywhere else. I <laughs> don't really have much of an option. Um, I mean, New York is New York. That's a, kind of an obvious answer as well. But LA is really, it's, it's come up quick in the last couple of years. So. Favorite place to travel? New York. 
And I'm not just saying that because of the podcast. It's definitely just saying that New York's the best. <laughs> if you were, this is the right. big one. Whatever you said, whatever you said, we were going to insert New York anyway. We're going to dub it over. If you were to challenge Jimmy or I to a game of ping pong, who would you have the better odds of beating? I think Jimmy. Ah, oh, look at that! Twice <laughs> in a row, Shatsy's the winner. Yeah, see, Jimmy, because 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 you know, Jimmy, ping pong, you got to really move on your feet, baby. Not my thing, you know. I don't like moving. Yeah, it's not your thing. Yeah, so I've won the last two. I got to tell you, hangman and ping pong, I could beat Jimmy. Oh, all right, I I can I can accept that. Uh, yep, I can. I got to work on my game. Question for you guys: uh, Do you guys ever play ping pong? Who typically wins? <laughs> you know, that's a really uh, good yeah. question. I, yeah, dark. I think darts. I, I think I think I take you down, Chatsy, but I'm not sure. I played a lot of ping pong, Jimbo. We've never played. I don't think we've ever played ping pong. We've never, never played. Darts, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying, I'm taking you down. I know. Ping pong, golf. darts, might be bowling. Golf. Senior golf swing. It's not good. <laughs> not golfing. Listen, uh, Chris, we want to thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast and for all your great insights. Uh, we appreciate your hard work uh, and all the things you and your company does to support the industry, uh, not just during this time, but but really always. You're really a hospitality. A centric company. You're an ally to our industry uh, and the owners and operators, and, and we appreciate uh, everything you guys do. Uh, for any of our listeners, if you want to get in touch uh, with Chris directly, uh, please may email us at admin at brandedstrategic.com. That's admin at brandedstrategic.com, and we'd be happy uh, to make the connection and uh, with, with, uh, with You're not uh, giving out Chris. Chris's cell phone? You know, I did that once and it was frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, knocked down. And, uh, right. So now we just say, contact us and we'll connect you. Um, uh, and to our listeners, uh, we always want to uh, recognize and, and show our appreciation. We thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. We know there are literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there and you choose to hang out with us, which is awesome. Uh, so please join us uh, the next time as we welcome Mr. Andrew Nash, CEO of targetable marketing services uh we're very excited we'll to have looking forward us. to that one that's a good one yeah targetable not as is good the, as chris it, it, every time you say that and then we have to deal with the next guest they're like well why did you say i wasn't as good as chris before i even had a chance um but no <laughs> it'll, andrew, be the, it'll be the ongoing joke <laughs> andrew dash uh ceo targetable they are the easy button uh for social media uh, advertising, uh, also an incredibly hospitality-centric uh, company um, that's really trying to embolden brands and, and, and connect with guests uh, and, and consumers. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe uh, to our podcast. You don't miss out on any of the exciting guests we'll be having in the future, or better yet, please invite a friend to hang out with us the next time. So until then, this is Jimmy Frischling, your finance guy. And it's uh, Shatsy, the restaurant guy from the Hospitality Hangout. Thanks again to our guest. And uh, thanks for everybody uh, listening out there. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. 